May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. So, I have a confession to make. This is one of those gospel lessons that I have a really hard time with for a number of reasons. I mean, Jesus, it's not enough that he asks us to love our neighbors, but then he wants us to love our enemies too. And if you speak to my family and friends, they will tell you that Naomi is good for holding a grudge for up to a year and a day. So this loving people is a hard thing already. But also, it just seemed that whenever I heard this gospel preached, it was often that I heard it preached clearly by somebody who had no idea of oppression, of suffering, who when they talked about enemies were probably talking about somebody they had a fight with at work or maybe even somebody in their family who was driving them crazy, but that they, they were not speaking from the experience of being someone oppressed, downtrodden, beaten. And so when we hear Jesus say, love your enemy, turn the other cheek, for me it was, it's all very easy for you to preach that But we who live in a place and a time where it can be at any given moment that police burst into your home or your school, that we are arrested, that we are beaten, that we know people who have been tortured, that it isn't then easy. It is not an easy thing to teach, love your enemy, pray for those who abuse you. And at the same time as I was listening to these sermons preached by men, almost all white men, um, that about forgiveness and loving the enemy, I was being raised in a family where my parents took this very seriously. And every single night when we prayed, We would pray for the South African government, for the leaders, for the military, for the police. And you can imagine that I am sitting there and I'm praying hard. I'm praying, Lord, yes, I want to pray for all of them that they might meet you face to face soon and very soon. (laughs) Which wasn't what my parents were intending us to pray. And... About two weeks before I got married, um, my then fiancé, now ex-husband, but that's a sermon for another day, um, and I joined my family and friends and most of the people of Soweto attending a memorial service for the children killed on June 16, 1976. And it was held in the largest church in Soweto at that time, which was Regina Mundi, a Catholic church. And so we, as the service was coming to an end, the people at the back started heading out and then came back in to report that the church was surrounded by soldiers and police. 
And so the clergy, my father was one of them, went out to try and talk to the heads of the police and, and soldiers to say, you know, our people have been gathered here commemorating our children. Can you please just let people go home safely? We will make sure that people leave quietly if you will just respect that and allow them to go home peacefully. And so my sisters and my, I and my, my fiancé decided we weren't even going to go out. We were, my father's car was parked in the yard of the church, so we were just going to go and stand by the car and wait for him to come back from that conversation. So um, at some point, police started jumping over the fence, the sides and the back of, of the, the, the church fence, and beating people as they found them in, in the churchyard. And so everybody started running towards the cars, hoping that cars were open and that everybody would be able to jump in. And so people did, and by the time my fiancé and I got to my father's car, it was packed. There was no space for us. And so we went and stood at the front of the car, hoping that, you know, the police would just run by and not see us. Well, they didn't. They did see us. And they came in, came into the garage, the, the, the carport, and then my, my fiancé, dear American, who... I just love how Americans view their, the way that they are respected in the world. So as the police come towards us, he pulls out his passport. Like, this is going to stop them. And says, I'm American. Like, okay, yes, so, oh, we didn't realize you were American, bye. No. <laughs> they beat us. And they beat us pretty badly. And, um, and so then... My sisters went and told my father that I, Corbin and I were in the back having been beaten by the police. And my father came and took us to the hospital. And then when we came back home that evening, he was sitting in the living room, and I went to him and I said, so you're always telling us that we need to pray for these people, that these people are our brothers and sisters. So do you want me to pray for them now after what they did to me? And my father said, you know, I wasn't the one who was beaten, so I can't say what you must do. But what I can say is that I pray that if I were the one who had been beaten, I would be able to pray for them. And I think if my father had said to me at that time, yes, indeed, I expect you to pray for them, this is what... I have taught you this is what the gospel teaches you, that I would probably have cussed him and them out that night. But by saying, by giving me that little opening to say, I wonder myself, it allowed my heart to at least to begin to think about what was this lesson that Jesus was trying to teach. And I didn't pray for them that night. But there came a time when I was indeed able to pray even for those who had beaten me and to pray that they would come to recognize that they were fully children of God as I was fully a child of God. To pray that they would recognize that God called them into communion, into community as brothers and sisters, to pray that they would 
recognize in themselves and in me, God's children made in God's image. When I think about this lesson, and especially I think about how I heard it preached so very often, that the idea seemed to be that, you know, yes, Jesus says turn the other cheek, but Jesus isn't saying allow yourself to be beaten black and blue. Jesus isn't saying allow yourself to be oppressed. Jesus isn't saying just strip naked to give to those who ask you. But actually, that is exactly what Jesus is saying. Because unlike the people I said I heard this gospel preached from most often, Jesus was carrying on in this gospel last week's sermon. So Jesus knew who he was talking to. He was talking there indeed to the marginalized and to the oppressed and was talking as one who had experienced oppression, who had experienced being seen and treated as less than. But he still said to them, love your enemies. Pray for those who abuse you. Because that is the model that I am showing you. And it indeed is the model that Jesus gave us. Because he continued to pray for those who tortured and abused him even up to the moment of his death on the cross. So this gospel, my fear of it is well-founded because Jesus is asking us to do something really hard. Jesus is asking us to do something that nothing else in this world ever asks of us. In fact, it is going against almost everything that we are taught about being strong, about standing your ground, about being, being those who cannot be conquered, that Jesus is calling us to truly love those, even, especially those who hate us. Jesus is calling us to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. And I like that when we teach that, we normally flip it, you know? We do the negative. Like, how would you like it if somebody spoke to you like that to our children as we're trying to teach them to be polite? How would you like it if somebody hit you? How would you like it if somebody bit you? That's just me and my son, particularly. <laughs> but Jesus isn't saying, don't do to people what you don't want them to do to you. He says, do unto others as you would have them do to you. Think about what it is you would like to have happen to you in this situation. Think about your dreams, your aspirations, and then offer that 
to the other. One of my favorite stories about President Mandela is about just this about him, how he understood clearly this commandment to do unto others. And it is from a time when he was a prisoner on Robben Island and the prison guards who had been warned about this most evil man that they were going to be guarding found a man who treated them with respect, who wanted to know their stories, who wanted to know about their families. And he had one guard who told him, he said, you know what, Mr. Mandela, I have a son who is so brilliant. I know he's going to do really well at his end of year exams, but we don't have the money to send him to university. And so President Mandela reached out to his supporters in South Africa and in the rest of the world and said, one of my prison guards has a son who should be going to university his family doesn't have the money. So I want you to collect funds so that this young man can go to university. And they did. And they paid for this young man to go to university. Here he is, a prisoner, with no, hardly any access to his own family. And his thought was, what would I want to happen for my child? in this situation. I would want somebody to step up and help my child go to university. Therefore, I am going to do unto this prison guard what I would want done to me. That is the challenge that Jesus puts in front of us. Not don't do, but do. Love. Pray, help, lend. That is who we are called to be as the church, as Christ's body. We are meant to show the world a very different way of being than the world has ever seen. Let us pray. Almighty and eternal God, so draw our hearts to you, so guide our minds, so fill our imaginations, so control our wills, that we may be wholly yours, utterly dedicated unto you. And then use us, we pray, as you will, and always to your glory and the welfare of your people. Through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.